Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you didn't come to church today to be entertained because you're not going to be entertained by me. That's not why the Bible says that you ought to come to church. The Bible says that you ought to come to church to seek God, to know God more, to get closer to God, not to be entertained. So we don't entertain here. We speak the word of God. And if you came here for that reason, and that's why you came here, to be to learn about God and to grow in God and to grow in Christ, well, then that puts a smile on God's face. Anytime we do things that, you know, we put ourselves to the side and we lift God up and we put God, what's important to God, I mean, we make it important to us, that puts a smile on God's face. Praise God. If this is your first time here, hello, I'm Pastor Ed, and I come to you from McKinney, Texas, and this is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. So we always start with a word of prayer. If you guys would please join me in a word of prayer, we always ask because we know the Bible says we can't understand something, anything really, our physical selves can't understand it without the Spirit of God. So we have to ask God's Holy Spirit, have to ask God to help us understand His Word by His Holy Spirit. So Lord, join me please. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God, for we know your word says that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, Lord God, you are there, Lord. We know, Lord God, there's two or more gathered in your name that are here. So, Lord, we, th- we thank you and we welcome you, Lord, to this place. God, we thank you. We, 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 you say your word says you're always with us, yet you say that where two or more are gathered, you are there. So it's a special here, Lord. We know it's not just the normal being with us every day, Lord God. We know that you're here in a special way, Lord God. I pray, God, please that those listening online all over the world, those listening in this room, and those that will hear this message wherever and whenever all over the world, Lord God, I pray, Lord God, I pray, Lord God, I pray that their hearts, Lord God, would be tuned, Lord, to what your word is saying today, Lord God, because, Lord, you see in the men's hearts. And I I just pray that, Lord, our hearts would be so tuned to you, Lord, and and so focused on what you're saying today, Lord God, that, that those hearts and those heart conditions would be pleasing to you. Lord God, for we know your word says that your eyes go to and fro upon all the earth, Lord. We just pray that here in this place and all those that will listen to this message, Lord, your, your eyes will find our hearts strong towards you, Lord God, and what's said, Lord, and not just, oh, well, are we almost done yet? Or always, you know, Lord, I pray, please tune us right to your mouth, right to your words, God. We thank you. Help us to understand your words by your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand your love. Help us to understand what you want us to do, Lord God. And then, Lord, as we understand what you want us to do, Lord, help us to do it. Lord, help us not to just be hearers of the word only, Lord. Help us to be doers of your word, Lord God. Please, we thank you and we love you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in the mighty and precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So you can turn to Acts chapter 8 today. That's where we're going to be, and we're going to be in verses 26 through 40. But I'm not going to read them or teach them until I give. I give, always give a little overview, a little thoughts from last week's message, and the title of that message was, if you remember, let all that, that you do be done with love. Let all that you do be done with love. Remember last week we talked about how Peter the Apostle and Simon the Exorcer both sinned pretty heinous sins against God. Remember how Jesus Christ with Peter and Peter with Simon replied to them in regards to their sin. Remember that they sinned, they saw them sin, they said the thing they sinned, and Jesus Christ with Peter and Peter with Simon replied in a certain way. And remember both Jesus Christ and Peter replied to their young converts in seemingly very harsh and very unloving ways. Yet the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16, that was where our title came from last week, let all that you do be done with love. So there seemed 
to be a contradiction between how our Lord, Jesus Christ, and how Peter acted toward their young converts, according to then how God's Word says that people, Christians, should act toward others. Was there a contradiction? Heavens no. Was the Bible flawed and messed up and so we can't trust it? No way, Jose. We know that the Bible doesn't have any contradictions. Praise God, not one bit, because God's words are perfect. And remember the reason we found out that there were no contradictions, and this took digging. And I always talk about how you can't just read the Word of God. you got to dig in the Word of God. you got to dig certain issues and, and, and ideas in God's Word because it, it just, on the outward, and, and I, I kind of have this ideal about why God allows this kind of stuff to happen, but I believe that God allows seeming contradictions in the Bible because He really wants to see who will just take that contradiction and just go, oh yeah, well, and just write God off, or, or if they really look and go, no, wait a minute, let me look at this. Is this really a contradiction? And then God's eyes go, whoop, oh, I see that one. Oh, they're not just writing me off. And then he comes with the truth as we dig, as we go deeper, as we inquire more strongly. And so that's what we did. That seeming contradiction was that uh, the, the fact of the way Jesus Christ talked to Peter and Peter talked to Simon, and, that, and, and their harsh and seemingly unloving ways was just the way their Jewish culture then, and even still, that's how they talked to one another. And that's just how they let each other know truths and they don't hold back and they just say things as it is. And, and praise God, that's the way we found that there was no contradiction. It's just the way their society and their culture, that's the way they act with one another. And that's no contradiction, right? God's word's flawless. And I love it so much. I love God's word. By the way, uh, just one last point here. If, if that seeming contradiction would have proven to be true, although it wasn't, uh, but do you know what that would have made Jesus Christ and what that would have made Peter if they were seeming contradictions? That would have made them hypocrites. And the worst of all, religious hypocrites. But I love to tell you, you know, you hear that saying, God just gave me a new saying. You know, you hear that saying, oh, I hate to tell you. I, God gave me a new one for this sermon. I love to tell you, and this is what I love to tell you, but God and Christ are awesome and they're holy and they don't sin and they're especially not hypocrites. Did you know that God hates hypocrisy? He hates hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a terrible sin, especially in a spiritual and religious context. Uh, hypocrisy in a religious context is when a seemingly godly person tells someone else that they should act in a holy way. Oh, you, you should be holy in these ways, brother or sister. And yet that seemingly uh, godly person lives in those same unholy ways that they just told you that you ought not to live in. But God abhors the sin of hypocrisy. Just read how Jesus Christ talks about and to the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 23 with his, Woe to you, Pharisees! Woe to you, scribes! For you do this and you do that. And that wasn't part of their culture. That wasn't just, oh, well, he was just, and you know, you know no, he was being harsh in that context and he was being super harsh but why of course it's in love but why because he was trying to shock them back to life he was trying to break them out of their uh, of their their deceived you know idealism that they had that they could just do this and that and then they were above that because they were the children of Abraham they thought that gave them some special in with God as I as I have a brother who me and talk about some people think that when you get to heaven God's going to be like oh just He's going to wink a few times and be like, he's going to look around and he's going to, yeah, just, just go right in. Oh, that's okay. We're not going to worry about all that, that willful sin that you lived in. But that's not 
how God acts. That's not what God does because He can't break His Word and God is holy and He's just. Praise God. And He's not a hypocrite and God's Word is flawless. All right, well, let's get into our new sermon for today, shall we? Message title today, great message title today, The Great, all caps now, The Great Seeker. All caps on The Great and The Seeker there. The Great Seeker. Seeker. We're going to read over Acts 8, chapter, or verses 26 through 40. So if you want to read that over with me, please, I'd surely appreciate it. Acts 8, 26 through 40. The Bible says this. If you're there already, you should be. Said it two or three times. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, excuse me, I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> I was in chapter 9. Let's go to chapter 8, verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all the treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah, the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scriptures which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life was taken from this earth. So the Enoch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself? Or some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and, beginning at the scripture, preached Jesus to him. I would have loved to have been there for that sermon. Amen. (laughs) Now, as they went down to the road, or as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the Enoch said, See, here is some water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said to him, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he, answers, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the Enoch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. And this was a caught away, so that the Enoch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azatoth, and passing through, he preached in the cities till he came to Caesarea. I believe that was Caesarea Philippi. Not 100% sure, though. All right, on to our new message. Our last section of Scripture told us that the apostles Peter and John left that one Samaritan village where the, all this stuff happened with Simon. Remember where Simon was, uh, Simon was uh, he had asked Peter if he could buy the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? And, and when they did, they went through, the Bible says, many other Samaritan villages preaching. And then the word says that they returned to Jerusalem. And that was the end of us hearing about the apostles for now. We don't hear about them again until Acts 9.26 when they get to meet a new and surprising convert whom at first they fear, but I'm not going to spoil that convert for you. You probably already know, but I'm not going to jump there now. But anyway, since we don't, since Luke, the writer of Acts, decides not to tell us anymore about the apostles until Acts 9, who does or what does Luke decide to talk to us about? Well, God leads him to continue to follow and record the amazing story of the table-waiting disciple Philip as he has two amazing things to happen to him after his mission is done with the Samaritans. Look at verse 26 again. Look at Luke's recording, the way he starts 
verse 26. And now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Philip was called to a mission among the Samaritans. And now that his mission was done with the Samaritans, God tells him to move on. God has a mission for every single one of his children. Are you on a mission for God, or are you running away from a mission God's given you to do like Jonah did? Anyway, Philip's mission to these Samaritans is over and done. So God sends him one of his angels. We don't get the name. We don't get Michael. We don't get Gabriel. We don't get this. We don't get, we don't get, he was the angel of the Lord. We just know that God sends him one of his angels nonetheless, right? And he doesn't talk to him by his Holy Spirit. That's kind of important. He does later, but uh, who am I to say, hey, God, why are you to do that? But just notice that there, he doesn't speak to him by his Holy Spirit. Even though Philip is born again and has the Spirit living within him right now, God chooses to speak to him by an angel. Uh, And the angel tells Philip to lead his mission with the Samaritans and go south. Along the road, the Bible says, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. His new mission is south of where he is now. If you guys want to look at your visual guides, you can look at the, I have there at the very top, he was up in there in that orange X there by Samaria, somewhere in that area right there, right? But that is all the details that God gives to Philip. In fact, look there, God does, verse 26, God doesn't even tell Philip that he has another mission for him. He just says, hey, get up. And go. The only reason we know Philip has another mission is because we can read ahead in the text, but Philip has no idea. God's got him in the dark. God is vague sometimes with his children. God will say, go here, go there, do this, or go here, go there. We may not have any idea what God's sending us to even still today. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Also, this is a big one now, notice there the few seemingly insignificant words regarding Philip's next mission at the very end of the verse, speaking about the road that Philip was to take. Notice at the very end of verse 26, look at the last three words. It says that this road, this is desert. Now, you could just read there that the road that goes south is in the desert which indeed the road is through the desert. But I see something much deeper here in what God is saying to him. And we'll go through this as I have our visual aid that you're going to see online. I'll have that posted online. I'll have it posted on my uh, on the Gospel Saving Church website. But what is it that we can see that's deeper? Well, Philip was just sent to a whole village of people, the Samaritans. And, and through his preaching, by God's Holy Spirit, praise God, it pretty much sounds to me but like the whole village turns to Christ. That's the way when you read the scripture, sounds like the whole village turns to Christ. And that's pretty powerful. And that's pretty awesome. And after this, the apostles, remember, they come down, they lay their hands on the people. The people, were they're filled with God's Holy Spirit power so they could do the work of the Holy Spirit, or the work of God, the work of Christ. And then the, there was definitely, most definitely, even though this is outside of Scripture, but there was most definitely a church planted there. Because why? Well, that's what Christians do. That's what the disciples, that's what the apostles did then. That's what apostles and that's what disciples do today. They go preach the gospel. People get saved. People come to the Lord. They plant a church. And then the, the apostle, as he's sent, he just moves on. That's what we do. That's what they did then. That's what we do today. So then, with the apostles then appointing no apparent leadership over this new church there in Samaria, the apostles leave. Right? They just they go preaching through the cities of Samaria, and they go back to Jerusalem, and that's it. Well, speaking about the deeper meaning to this desert road that God sends Philip on, put yourself in Philip's shoes here and think of what he was probably thinking after the apostles left. God's going to make me the new leader of this church. 
I'm going to be, well, well, God, I'm ready. I, you know, I just came here and all these people got saved. And, or, you know, remember, you, all the apostles laid their hands on me and, and I was the one that was you know, supposed to do the daily distribution so I could lead people. I could see this as a definite desire of Philip's heart. He sees all these people come to Christ just as he was a babe in Christ and he was mentored. Now, the desire of every Christian should be once you get saved and then you go mentor some, you get, somebody else gets saved that you find out, you want to mentor them. And so I could see this as a desire of Philip's heart. Yet, what God does with Philip is just the opposite. Wow. God tells him to hit the desert road. Literally, as I'll show you in our visual, and I believe spiritually speaking, without even telling him where he's going. And he has to leave behind the work that God started with him. Ouch. He has to leave it behind. Just, just leave. Well, but, but Lord, I, I, I could just see his struggle, right? And there, to me, making the literal desert road also a spiritual desert road of uncertainty and disappointment as well, too. And by the way, in case you're wondering, we're going to get out your visual aid here. Uh, in Philip's time, there was only two main roads that went from Jerusalem to Gaza. You can look at your photo now. I, I highlighted them, right? The road that went through the desert, the one that God told him to travel on, that's that one that's going from Jerusalem down to Gaza. And notice, there's not one city between that road, between Jerusalem and between Gaza, if you can see that there, there's not one city. While the other road, the one that God didn't tell him to take, right, has one, two, three, four, four cities going through it, right? Well, we know that the road that God told him to take was the desert road, so we know it couldn't have been the one up there going north and then south, right? It had to be the one going through the desert because God's a little God, right? Whenever he says something, that's what he means, right? So there's two roads, right? Well, according to Google Maps, I want you to think about this now. We're going to get a little statistical now. According to Google Maps, the full trip from Jerusalem to Gaza on the desert road was about 17 hours and 50 miles, and that would be on foot, of course, because that was how Philip probably traveled, right? Plus now adding uh, that little orange X that I put up there by Samaria, plus now adding the distance and time of uh, Philip being in Samaria to actually get to Jerusalem and then to get onto the road, that, that desert road that went from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is about almost that same amount. So which makes the total trek by foot from this Samaritan village to Gaza around 30 hours and 90 miles on foot. And half of it, over half, being in complete desert without one city from Jerusalem to Gaza. What a trip that God tells them to go on. This was no small feat that God was asking. God was asking a lot out of Philip here, and God was taking him away from the work that he was personally and probably hoping to lead, and this tells me that this 90-mile traffic, this road here, again, without giving any details of what was next, right? Talk about a man full of faith. Philip was just a man full of faith, and he was willing to go down into a wilderness experience. Sometimes God sends us into the desert or the wilderness for a specific purpose, you know. That's what the Bible says, and we see it here with Philip. Even Jesus Christ had to go through one, right? Forty days, no food, no water in the, in the wilderness. He was all alone, right? No other human being. And he hopes that during this, this desert road, we'd be like Philip here. He hopes that we'll trust in him fully. Right? Even though we have no idea what kind of work lies ahead, where we're going, what the people we're going to meet, that's what he wants from us. Sometimes this wilderness experience, it, it, I, I found that God's given me, you may have more, I'd love to hear them, message me or something after, but I found three reasons why God sends us on these wilderness journeys. I, I find one is to draw us closer to him. That's number one. Because when we're away from all, 
we're either going to fall away or we're going to cling, right? Like a new, like a new baby suckling to their mama, right? We're going to cling to them. That's number one. Sometimes he wants to test us to see where we're at with him. He wants to see what we'll do. Well, will he cling to me? Will she cling to me? Or will they walk away? Uh, sometimes like Job's and, and, you know, and, and, and in Philip's case here, God has some work for us to do. But we have to go into the wilderness to do it. It's not right where we are. What is this faith-filled man of God's response to the very hard wilderness command and trip that God sends him on? Just read the first sentence of verse 27. Don't read the whole of verse 27. Read the first sentence. So he arose and went. That was it. So he arose and went. I believe this was very hard for him to do, but Philip knew. <laughs> Philip knew the price that Christ had paid for his sin. And he obeyed without Scripture even telling us that he questioned or argued with God. Philip was a precious man of God. Philip was a precious man full of faith, wasn't he? In fact, so precious was he. And I'm going to break... I'm going to break my notes here for just a moment. Philip, and God through him, has changed my life this week. Because I have already prayed this week, God, make me like Philip. Because at the end, we're going to, we're just going to, I'm just going to reference, and I'm going to reference it now. Make me one of, like Philip that had unquestioned obedience. Make me like Philip, Lord. He just had unquestioned obedience. You said go. He said, yes, sir. And he just went. Wow. And so back on, so precious was he. What he does here makes me think of what Paul the Apostle writes in Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Right? Except what I see here with Philip, why I prayed for all of us in this room and all over the world today, and I think even yesterday, why after God really just put this on my heart, hey, you need to be like this, right? Uh, nobody had to beseech Philip to do anything. God didn't have to go, come on, Philip, will you just do this? Please, I really got this job for you to do. Will you, you come on, Philip, will you just think about, no. God said, go. Philip knew how long it was. Back then, it wasn't like, like today. If, if we live in the Dallas, Texas area, if somebody said, hey, Ed, uh, would you go, go down to you know, the, the downtown Dallas and get something for me? Immediately in my mind, I go, oh, yeah, that's about X amount of time. Because I've been there, right? Well, Philip been to Jerusalem. Philip been to Gaza. So Philip, in his mind, when God's, the angel says, oh, go here, Philip went, yeah, yeah. 90 miles? Where in the world? <laughs> wow. But yet, nobody beseeches him. He just raises up and he goes. If you are saved... Do you love and serve God like you remember that you were bought and paid for with the price of the blood of Christ like Philip does here? Do you have unquestioned obedience? Christian, you would do well to imitate this beloved man of God, that's for sure. He shows us unquestioned obedience in his, in, in his, and of course this is very pleasing to Jehovah. He, he obeys God out of obedience. He braves the wilderness desert road both physically and spiritually. And look, Philip meets his next Mission. Look, look at the rest of 27 and verse 28. Uh, and it says here in verse 27, And behold, a man of Ethiopia. He meets his next mission. He may not know it yet, but he sees a man of Ethiopia. A great eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, and had come to Jerusalem to worship. That's big. 
an Ethiopian, just a normal Ethiopian in that time coming to Jerusalem to worship? I don't believe this was just an Ethiopian man. I believe that this was a Jew living in Ethiopia who had a love for the Jehovah God, a, a Old Testament love of Jehovah God, and he braved this trip. For I cannot see a non-Jew of this time traveling. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but traveling the, all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship Jehovah. So read the rest there. So he, verse 28, was returning. So he was returning from Jerusalem to Ethiopia, and he, of course, took the desert road, right, the one we have on our map, the one that's in our visual, between Jerusalem and Gaza for the first part of his trip, and God knew it, and that's why he sent Philip there, right? And the rest, sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. So while he's traveling back, even while he's driving the chariot, and I'll show you later, he was still driving here. He wasn't parked because it says here that Philip, a little bit later, we're going to read that Philip had to run and catch him. Well, you don't have to run somebody and catch somebody that's sitting still. So while the Enoch here is driving his chariot, he's contemplating God, his worship of God, and the scriptures earnestly think. He had just come from Jerusalem where he had come to worship God and did worship Jehovah, for that's even why he went, right? Yet while he's driving back, right, the scriptures tell us that he's reading the scriptures seeking God while he's driving the chariot. This reminds me of somebody who just can't get enough. <laughs> right? He just can't get enough. Philip's next mission is this man from Ethiopia. But as a great big aside here, notice that he's just one man. Just one man. And remember, God made Philip leave a whole village of brand new converts that needed discipleship for one man? Hmm. Now, now what would cause God to rip Philip out of Samaria and lead him away from these new thirsty converts and from his ambition of being the new leader pastor of the church there to just go to one man. What would lead God to do that? I mean, God, Jesus said, go therefore to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations, right? So that's what Philip had a chance to do, yet God didn't let him do that. God ripped him away and sent him for one man on a desert road. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Looking at the economy of what God does here with Philip from a human perspective, sure doesn't seem to make any sense, does it? It just doesn't. I mean, think, I mean, if, if I were God, <laughs> thank God I'm not God, but if I were God, I'd be like, my man Philip, he's prepared. He's ready. And Disciple, right? Philip was a trained disciple that the apostles had prepared for leadership. He treks across the countryside about 40 miles to go to the Samaritan village uh, uh, from Jerusalem to Samaria. He preaches Christ and the church is born. And just when the church of probably hundreds of people needed someone to lead it, God calls Philip the most prime, ready, and trained candidate away for just one man. Hmm. And the Jewish Ethiopian man at that in the middle of the desert. Wow, what in the world is God doing here? Well, what God did here, what God was doing here, is awesome. Because, of course, everything God does is awesome, right? And that's, what, that's why he did. He, did, he did something awesome. You see, Christ taught two principles, 
And God spoke one characteristic of himself that all explained God's economy here with Philip and the Ethiopian and why God did what he did with sending Philip to the Ethiopian. Uh, these principles in this one characteristic apply perfectly to why God sent Philip to this Ethiopian man and made him leave the new work in Samaria and the, hun- and the hungry converts there. Number one principle, remember a little parable Jesus spoke in Matthew 18. We'll go to verses 12 and 15 through Matthew 18. And he says this, Jesus says this, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains? There's nobody living generally in the mountains either. This time it was a desert, right? Does he not go to the mountains to seek one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it's not the will of your Father that is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And that's number one principle. We see the leaving of the ninety-nine for the one. Number two principle Christ taught, Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask, seek, and knock. For everyone who asks receives, and, every, and he who seeks finds, and him who knocks, the door will be opened. Well, listen to that one. Hmm, how does that apply? I'll explain. And God's beautiful characteristic of himself in Second Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout all, a whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. Well, the reason God sent Philip to the Ethiopian man hits all three of these chords of God's heart. For this Ethiopian was a great seeker, hence the title of our sermon today. He was a lost sheep of the house of Israel seeking his way home to God for the first two principles. And he hit God's heart big time in those areas. For, for, and, and for God's characteristic, his heart was strong towards God and the fact that he was seeing God's truths and coming all the way, or he was seeking, excuse me, God's truths and coming all the way from Jerusalem to worship God, and yet still knowing that it was not enough, right? Because under the old covenant, you couldn't really know God personally. And he knew that. There was something innately within him. He knew that's not enough. He knew innately that's not enough. So he was seeking who the Messiah the one who could bring him into a deeper relationship, the one who could bring him to a real relationship with God. He was seeking the Messiah, was in Isaiah, in a major way, not seeming to get enough. What a great seeker. And God saw this heart and sends Philip. If you doubt that he was truly a great seeker, seeking God earnestly, I want you to think about this. We're going to use our maps a little bit more now. Ethiopia is roughly... 25, almost 2,600 miles from Jerusalem. Think of that. There's your map there. Look at Jerusalem, right? Now, that's not long in a car, but not terribly bad if you're in a car going 60 miles an hour, yet I have a good brother who hates to travel anyway at all, especially in a car, the traffic and stuff. But if you're in a car going 60 miles an hour, that's about 43, right around roughly 43 hours nonstop if you're driving in a car from Jerusalem all the way to Ethiopia. Or if you're in a plane, that's just a one day, that's just a few hour trip. You know, you're in a plane going five, 600, 800 miles an hour, and that's nothing for how people travel today. But that's not how the Ethiopian traveled. He was in a horse, Scripture tells us, and he was in a horse-drawn chariot. And if you're in a horse-drawn chariot, you're going to go roughly, the, the people said, you know, as I investigated this, you're going to do roughly anywhere between 20 to 30 cool miles a day. 
20 to 30 a day, depending on hills and where, you know, rough terrain, you know, if did your horse, your horse going to get sick, then you're, then you're really out. But just as to say, estimated at 30 miles a day, roughly, estimating highly, right? With having to stop and eat, sleep, rest, lodge, water your horses, bed your horses, right? Not travel on the Sabbath, because again, I believe he was a Jew. The straight time travel there, his straight time travel there, one way, one way was right about three months travel. Right about three months travel. Can you say, wow? wow. This Jewish Ethiopian man traveled three months, one way, to go seek Jehovah. Wow. To seek Jehovah. Knowing that Jehovah, although God, that, is that enough? Is, there's something more. I, I just know it. Seeking. Now do you see why the sermon is called The Great Seeker? And you see, here's something about God, something awesome about God. God can't deny himself. He can't deny who he is. And he is who he is. And when his eyes are going all over the earth to and fro, every day, all the time, day by day, to find those whose hearts are strong towards him, who are earnestly and truly seeking him with all their hearts, he will reach out to that person and do anything to show them that he's there for them and reveal himself to them, even, guess what? Send the perfect messenger. This is the kind of great seeker, right? To show this great seeker who really wants to know him, right? So the seeker can come to know him personally, right? Which was what this Ethiopian was looking for in Isaiah. And God will do it at any cost. Even draw his messenger away from a huge work, a 99 or more work in another city, almost 100 miles away, a work that he was probably hoping to lead and mentor uh, to meet the one, the one great seeker. Earlier I said that in God's economy, this didn't make sense to my human logic, and I still agree with that. But I'll add this. I will add this, because I still don't understand. Like, okay, God, my 99, 301. Thank God for his economy. Thank God for his economy. His economy makes it possible for those who realize they're in need of a physician to be made well. As Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician. Well, if he sees you as a great seeker, he says, wow, okay, calling all. Let's go get him. Let's go get him so that we can be made well. So thank God for his economy. So Philip sees the great seeker, the Ethiopian man in his chariot, for the first time, and God tells him through his spirit this time, notice now, no angel here now. This is through the spirit, how God speaks to his true children now through the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 29 and the first words of 30. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. Again, remember I said earlier he wasn't sitting still. Right? He had to overtake his chariot. Well, you don't have to overtake somebody that's sitting still. So he was studying and earnestly seeking God while driving because he just couldn't get enough. In verse 30, so Philip ran to him. Philip had to run to catch up with the chariot for he was driving. It reminds me of the parable, uh, the parable here of the prodigal son. When the lost son came to himself and decided to come back and surrender to be a great seeker of his father's forgiveness, plan, and way of doing things, the father in that parable was God Almighty. And when God Almighty saw him, the great seeker, his lost son coming back, Luke 15, 20, his father saw him. 
and had compassion and ran. He didn't just wait for the sun to get back. Interesting, huh? He didn't just stand there stoically like they would have in their Jewish culture. All right, he's back, good. He ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. Wow. God is seeking the great seeker. Did you know that? God is seeking the great seeker. And when he notices that, when he notices just the one, even one, he responds by running to you or him or her, whoever, and revealing himself to you so that you can come into a saving relationship with him. Because we can't save ourselves. Even though we may try, we cannot come to God in a strong enough way that he'd go, all right, you're saved. Bible says God's got to draw you. But when God's got to draw you and he sees that, he makes the way to be saved. We don't make that way to be saved, which is exactly what he allows to happen with this great secret, this Jewish Ethiopian. Look at verses 30 through 33. And Philip, this would be Philip, I added the Philip, we know it's Philip. And Philip heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me, makes me think of Romans 10, 14, and how shall they hear, which means truly understand there, how shall they hear without a preacher? And he asked Philip to come and he asked him to sit with him. Notice he opens the door for Philip, who was from Christ, to come in. Sound familiar? Romans 3, 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. That's our responsibility, by the way, when Christ comes, when he comes, because he will come, to open the door. He says, I will come into him and I'll dine with him and he with me. Verse 32, the place in the scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb before it shears the silence, opened out his mouth in his humiliation. He uh, was his justice or his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life was taken from this earth. And that would be Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. God provides his powerful word to bring revelation of truth of his way of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. And there's no other way other than in Jesus Christ alone, which God's word is how the Bible says we can obtain that saving faith. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And this was just what this great seeker was seeking. He was seeking God and the word of God, which then brings the faith that we can have to the we can come to God, right? Look at verses 34 and 35. So the Enoch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Romans 10, 14, God's anointed preacher. Again, Philip steps in uh, to be God's mouthpiece to help the great seeker to understand the things of Jesus Christ so that he could come to partake in repentance to life. Acts eleven eighteen. Did you know that there is repentance, which is for believers who have sinned? Now, that's a type of repentance. And that turning away is from sin. You're already saved. God says you need to repent in this area of your life because this area of your life is unpleasing to me. So he calls us to repentance. That's for, that's for believers. But then there's repentance to life. For those who are not saved, and that's when they have to have a change of mind toward God in Christ, and that's when they surrender to him. I'll talk about this more at the end of my message, but just so you know, there's two types of repentance that the Bible speaks about. 
This great seeker, this Ethiopian man, had this change of mind. I see it here. And he receives this repentance to life and actually surrenders to Christ while he's listening to Philip. Almost reminds me of Peter when he goes to Cornelius' house and all the people all of a sudden get saved. Because look at verse 36. We see the fruit. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water and the Enoch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Well, you're not going to want to be baptized if you're not truly saved. Right? That work of salvation was done in the heart. And then what comes from that, right? The spring of life, right? Which is what this Ethiopian had. He had, a, he had a change of heart and he comes to God and that fruit automatically comes out. The supernatural change to him came as he heard about and truly believed in Christ. And, he, and what he did in his heart, he cried out to Christ in the heart of hearts and he surrendered to Jesus because immediately after Philip is done preaching, he asked to be baptized. He starts the fruits of the Spirit already. This great seeker reminds me of the thief on the cross next to Jesus. The thief on the cross. One, one kept going and profaning Jesus till he died. The other one had a change of heart. Why do, you, why do you blast this man? He's done nothing wrong but us. We deserve to be here. Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. And Jesus says, well, you don't have to remember you. Today, you're going to be here with me. This man wasn't baptized, but this man had the repentance to life in his heart that happened that was invisible, but he showed the fruit of it, right? This, this great seeker becomes a new creature, and it's manifested in his actions to obey Christ immediately after he became one. Did you know that if God has granted you repentance to life, you will have this change also? Did you know that? And you will also want to obey the teachings of Jesus Christ, and you will indeed obey them for the rest of your life until you die unless you fall away or you backslide away from Christ in which in which case you become unsaved again and eternal punishment awaits you this is what the scriptures say I'm not just making it up then the great seeker who is now no longer a great seeker but a, a great and true spiritual child of God that's awesome isn't it yes. he goes from being a great seeker to the great and awesome, true spiritual child of God. And look what he does. Look at verses 37 and 38. Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, I'm, I'm going somewhere else with this now in a little bit here. If you believe with all your heart, you may notice it was something he had to do. You believe with all your heart. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He goes from just believing in Jehovah. No. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. He was still moving during all this going on, if you can believe that or not. He was, I mean, you're not going to understand. He's trying to get home almost 3,000 miles. That's a long way. So he just keeps going. So he commands the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. He makes a double outward step of faith and professes Christ by his mouth, and then makes the horses stop immediately and lets Philip baptize him. He starts bearing fruit immediately. John 15, 4, right? We can't bear fruit without Christ. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. So we know that the Ethiopian was saved before the baptism. Because the tree, the branch, cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. So, the salvation was before the baptism. Now, I'm not going to make that a whole big speech today. I'm not going to make that a huge part of the sermon. But I am speaking to some people out there that believe that in order to be saved, in order for you to be right with God, you've got to be baptized. Yet, Jesus, John 15, 4, if you're not abiding in him, you can't bear fruit. There is no fruit unless you're truly saved. So this Ethiopian man was saved before he was baptized. 
And then Romans 10.9, the precious Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, right, and believe in your heart. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> Does that sound familiar? Philip, do you believe with all your heart? Yeah. If, if you believe with all your heart. See, it's not a head knowledge of Christ that brings salvation. It's a heart knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Wow, what a conversion. What a conversion. Look at the last verses, 39 and 40. Now, when they came up out of the water, this is the second awesome thing Philip records here. The Lord catches Philip away. What happened here? Well, what, well, what God, I wanted to stay with this Ethiopian. He's a thirsty new convert. Nope, Philip, I see another great seeker. I see another great seeker out there. And he sends Philip away to them, just as he did with the Ethiopian. Wow. So that the Enoch saw him no more. So this wasn't just like Philip ran down the road. God caught Philip away where he like disappeared. Because if he saw him no more, well, unless Philip was flash lightning, was, was the flash on the Marvel series, then certainly we know he wasn't, right? We know that God caught him away where Enoch couldn't see him, which means he disappeared, right? And, and what happened? What happened to the Ethiopian? How does it close? And he went on his way rejoicing. He had joy. <laughs> Look at that. The joy of the Spirit, same as the Samaritans did when they heeded the words of Philip when he preached to them and they were born again. The Ethiopian shows joy, right? Verse 40, but Philip was found in Azatoth, which was Ashdod of the Philistines there between Gaza and Joppa, and passing through, what did he do? He kept going. He preached in all the cities till he came in Caesarea. This faithful soldier of Christ realized his lot for God to be the one that brings the heat of the truth of Christ to others and the one who would get and help seekers, great seekers like the Ethiopian, come to know Christ and come to repentance to life. Jesus Christ, John 4.37, for, uh, for in this saying is true, one sows and another reaps. We all have a place for God in his kingdom, right? And then 1 Corinthians 3.6, I, Paul, planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. Everybody has a part to play for God's kingdom. Everybody does. I don't care who you are. God has a plan for you to be working on for his kingdom. Some people just sow the seed for God. Some people are there for God. He makes them there. It's that, it's that perfect time like Philip where he's there where it's like, okay, it's time. I'm ready. And then that person just helps them along the way just like Philip did here. But God has a plan for, in, for every one of us, every one of his kids and his work, period, the end. And Philip had surrendered to that plan and said, you know what, okay, whatever you want from me, God, I'll just go do. I'll be the one you catch up. I'll go wherever you want. Uh, the amazing con conversion of the great seeker and how God noticed, it just amazes me. God noticed that he was actually seeking. Wow! At the king of heaven and earth who dwells outside of our time and our space. And our humanity noticed one man on a desert road seeking. That's good. good. One man on a desert road seeking. And then what did he do? He interrupted a huge work by Philip. Philip was going to work strong for God there. He was going to mentor those new believers. Wow, but just the fact. That this great seeker got God's attention blows me away. I just can't even stop 
it just blows me away, the fact how this Ethiopian seeker, that God was compelled in a great way. I mean, he, this is a great, God was just wasn't like, well, just walk out your door and walk across the street to your neighbor. I mean, God sent the, you know how many people God had to make Philip pass before he got to the Ethiopian man? <laughs> Probably hundreds. One man. One man compelled God in a great way to send Philip to help him come to repentance to life because he was a great seeker. Has God changed today? <laughs> Heavens, no. I'd love to tell you. Heavens, no. So he is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. He, the way he was with Philip and the Ethiopian, he, he still is today. His eyes are still going to and fro over all the earth, looking for those who are really seeking him today, whose hearts are strong towards him, those who earnestly desire to know him truly, without any strings attached, right? Well, I don't know God, but... I'll go work for that job, but I won't do that. They're not going to hire you. Somebody comes into a department store and says, I want a job. All right, let's look at your, well, you, these are your duties. This is, oh, I won't, I won't do that duty. Have a great day. Have a great day. We'll see you later. I hope you find employment, but you won't find it here, right? So those who earnestly, the sky's the same way, those who earnestly desire to know him truly today and those who are responding to his drawing them to Christ, right? Because we know that God has to draw us to Christ, which he does, but this is not whether he draws and whether Christ draws people himself. It's whether we respond yes. to that drawing, right? So that he can help us come to repentance to life. You see, Philip's, Philip's no longer alive in the flesh today, but God calls new Philips and Peters and Pauls and Johns to people to help them, just like he did with the Ethiopian man almost 2,000 years ago. He still does it today. And in fact, I'm a Philip today. I'm a Philip today. God's called me and sent me on a desert road to help those of today that are like the great seeker, the Ethiopian man. Because I'm not like other preachers, and gospel-saving churches not like other churches. And why? Well, I actually tell you the truth about the Scriptures. I don't hold back, just like Philip and the apostles, and they, they did. I, I don't hold back. Whatever the scriptures say, that's what I teach. And whether you, oh, well, that offends me. Well, Jesus offended a lot of people in love, and I've offended a lot of people. And hence, we're not a huge church, but I speak the truth, and I say what God needs me to say, and I'm one of those Philips today. Uh, the main truth we study today, though, getting off of that, that I told you I'd discuss later in the closest message, there are two types of repentance that the Bible speaks about. Uh, one, the repentance that is for God's kids, uh, so those who have been born again and are abiding in Christ and not backsliding, right? Uh, this repentance is for us when we, we do commit some sin, because unfortunately, sadly, the, the old saying is true, uh, Christians, when they get saved, become sinless, and as we continue to live, we sin less as we continue to live, but we do still, ugh, I hate it, but we do still sin sometimes. Uh, and God is sanctifying all of us, and He's drawing us into a more of a holy and more of a Christ-likeness every day, right? And, uh, and, and so He does that, of course, because, well, with God, sin can't dwell. So the more sin that we have in our lives, the lesser God can draw us to Him because, you know, we're too sinful. So He has to kind of purge us, you know, in our lives, and so He can bring us closer, and we can be more intimate with Him, and, and so that we're not kept away by our sin, right, and our selfishness. That, that's the first reason that God, that's the first type of repentance. And, and two, the second type, 
the repentance that leads to life, Acts 11, 18. Uh, the point when the true great seeker comes to be born again and truly saved, right? Actually becoming or becoming again God's true spiritual child. Right? This kind of repentance that God has to grant to those whom are not, who are not saved or backslidden if they actually are greatly seeking him for the first time as this Ethiopian or, or the kind like the prodigal son had to greatly seek because he had fallen away and, and back to death spiritually. And let me tell you a secret. This is a secret. It's probably something you'll never hear at any other church, but I'm here to tell you this. Let me tell you a great secret. Everyone is in need of repentance. I don't care whether you're lost whether you've never been saved, whether you've fallen away, or whether you're a Christian, everybody's in need of repentance. It doesn't matter whether, one, you've already been changed and been born again and are continuing on your path in Christ and holiness and obedience to His teachings because uh, you, you know who you are, right? should be getting in God's Word daily, allowing Him to sanctify you, which requires you to yield to His Holy Spirit and let Him change the things about you that aren't like Him because John, or 1 John 1, or 1 John 4, 7, because as Jesus Christ was, God wants us to be that way. That's how the Bible works. As Jesus Christ was, so God wants us to be. If we are God's true spiritual child. And, and then even when we look to the righteous man David, son of Jesse, the king of Israel, right? The man after God's own heart, says God. What did he cry out in Psalm 139, 23? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way within me and lead me in the way everlasting, right? Come on, Christians. Come on, Christians. Everybody's in need of repentance. Uh, seek the Lord like David to know him more and for him to reveal to you those things about you that are wicked and those things that need to change because I hate to tell you this. Another big secret. Every Christian has them. We all have sin in our lives that we just don't know that we have. We're blind to it. We're deceived. We're, we're still coming into new life. We see in a glass dimly. We're, we're not perfected. We're not in heaven yet. We have things about us that God still reveals to me every day. Oh, I do, oh, I do that. Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I didn't know I still did that. Yep, I'm, I'm sorry because you know what? If God were to reveal everything about you that's sinful the very first moment that you got saved, well, I think you'd just explode, right? That's just kind of because we just couldn't take it, right? As it is, when he reveals that one little thing, that one little splinter that's in your eye, you're like, oh man, oh, I did, oh, that hurts. I got to get rid of that too. God says, yeah, you got to get rid of that too. Come closer. Come closer. Yeah, got to purge it. Got to purge it. So, oh Lord, seek me and know me. Search me and know my heart. Try my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way within me. And tell me, Lord, so that I don't live in those ways. But everybody, even you, Christian, or even me, Christian, we're all in need of this type of repentance. And, but that's not all. Number two, uh, if you've not been changed or if you've backslidden and fallen away from Christ, you are today in need of repentance that leads to life that God has to grant you, Acts eleven eighteen, because the Bible says that if you are apart from Christ, whether you're prodigal, or whether you've never been saved, if you're apart from Christ, Christ's sacrifice doesn't cover your sins. Just read the book of Hebrews. And you are destined for eternal flames of hell fire. And if this is you, I feel sorry for you and pray for you every day. And I mean that. 
think I'm lying, and I'm not going to lie from the pulpit. I'm not going to lie at all, but I pray for everyone that's ever heard and everyone that's listening to right now my sermons every single solitary day. So I pray for you every single solitary day, but I'd like to remind you this. I feel sorry for you, but I'd like to remind you of this. If you're lost, like the Ethiopian, or if you're a prodigal, if you're apart from Christ, it's not God's fault. It's yours. It's not God's fault. It's your fault. Right? You, you see, 2 Peter 3 9, God desires none to perish and all to come to repentance. So it's not his fault you're not in his arms, uh, whether rejecting or backslidden, it's yours. Jesus Christ said pretty plainly in John 12 32, and I, if I am lifted up on, from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. Well, Christ is drawn. Christ is drawing. All people means all. Amen. Doesn't mean the elect. Doesn't mean, well, well, then, you know, well, if you really, you know, well, this certain type of person, all is all. If I have all of an apple pie, how much of the apple pie do I have? Well, I have all, right? And he said, if I'm lifted up, which we know he was, will draw all peoples to myself, which means that he's drawn and wants everybody to surrender to him, to come to him, either for the first time or to give yourself back to him. He's drawn. But... For Matthew twenty two fourteen, 14, many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen in the Greek kind of sums it up to all. Just like Jesus said, all in the Greek, right? All adding up to God wanting to save your soul and bring you to him for the first time or back to him if you've backslidden away from him, right? Many are called, few are chosen. We're not chosen because we're an elect. We're chosen because you respond. If you respond, you're chosen, if you get called, which everybody's called, and you reject, well, then you're not chosen. So you could be chosen, or you can be a, a, a reject. Whatever you decide. It's God's salvation. He offers it to everybody. you got to respond. You could be chosen because you're called, but will you respond? That's just the simple truth. But you must respond to his drawing, right, and become a great seeker like this great, awesome Ethiopian so that he can grant you repentance to life. Would you please today set your heart to seek Christ and God Almighty starting today and become a great seeker so that, listen, if you do, that'll get God's eyes to come and fall on you, yes. <laughs> right? That'll get his attention. You want to get God's attention? Start seeking God. And he'll see that your heart is strong toward him and that you really want to know him. And he'll allow you to come. He'll make a way for you to come to repentance that leads to life. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. We can't do that if we're burning in hell because it's appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. That's period the end. So you can only seek the Lord while he may be found while you're alive today. Yes. Right? Jesus Christ died for your sins to show you that he really loves you. We talked about it before the message in communion today. He proved his love for you because he wants you to come to him and surrender to him so that your sins could be covered, so that you could have, have a tremendous relationship with him now and be changed and become, for the first time, a return as the prodigal son again, a certified child of the Most High God. Amen. That's what he wants. A certified child of the Most Holy mm. God. The one and only 
true God of all the universe. Uh, how do you become a great seeker? Well, just look to the Ethiopian. <laughs> he just couldn't get enough of seeking. He just kept reading. He just kept 3,000 miles, one way almost. That's six months. That's half a year there and back. Realize that? Keep seeking. God's eyes will fall on you. And, and this is how God let me to put it here. You keep asking. Asking what? You keep asking for him to reveal himself to you. You keep asking. For everybody who asks, receives. See, God is a man of his word. Yes. God is a man of his word. He's the only one. Well, everybody else has lied. Everybody else has cheated. Everybody else has sinned. But not God. He's not a liar. So if he says something and he says this is what, ask and you shall receive, <laughs> well, then he means it. If you ask, you shall receive. Seek, right? Seeking him diligently in his word. Where was the Ethiopian going? He went to God's word. Seek God in his word. Get a Bible. Seek God, right? Ask him to reveal himself to you. Seek diligently his word. And guess what? If you seek, you shall find, right? And then knock on the door of God's heart, crying out to him with your heart's desire to know him and who he is. For all that knock, the door will be open to you. Well, that's what it takes. Well, that's what it takes. If, if you know and you realize God's calling you right now, just respond. Start seeking. Become an Ethiopian. Become a seeker like the Ethiopian, because everybody should be seeking God. I don't care if you're saved or not. I'm seeking God every day. I love God. I want more and more and more and more. Give me. I can't get enough. And become like Philip, who obeyed with unquestioned obedience. Will you? He's calling you right now. Whether you're saved or whether you're not saved, it doesn't matter. He's calling you. Come to me more, my child. Oh, my prodigal. Oh, one's lost. Come, please come. Come, all who are willing, come. Read the book of Revelations. Come. Come, all. Come, come, come. He's calling right now. Will you respond? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for these principles that we find in Scripture, Lord God. Wow, they just blow my mind, Lord God. They just blow my mind, Lord God, how this Ethiopian got your attention. Lord, it just draws me so close to you, Lord God, to know that when we call upon you, when we seek you, when we, when we knock and when we ask and when we seek, Lord, you'll, you'll make it all happen. Lord, if we just respond to your calling, if we just respond to all the awesome creation that you've put out there, to just let us know that you're real. If we'll just stop running, if we'll just stop trying to suppress the truth, Lord God, and we just open our minds, just, just look at reality and let down our guards. Lord, everything and all creation points to you. Because <laughs> there's no way... Nobody looks at a painting or nobody looks at a picture and says, oh, wow, I wonder how that got there, how that got on the wall. No, they think, wow, what a, what a great job, or maybe even what a bad job, but in your case, Lord, but what a, what a great job that painter did painting that picture, Lord. If we just even look to all creation, Lord, how all, everything just sits out in space in, in a perfect orbit with power that makes it just sit there. Amen. Wow, Lord. Just if we just respond, just basic respond, 
to you. And we start asking you, God in heaven, who are you? Would you reveal yourself to me? Yes. Lord, you will. Yes. Lord, if we ask, and that's not just all one time, oh, in passing, oh, well, you know, God, will you reveal yourself? No, 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 no. No, you wouldn't ask that really pretty girl that you're wanting to date just one time if she wants to go out with you, Lord. If you really, really are interested in that girl, somebody, <laughs> any guy is going to keep on it. He's going to keep on it, Lord, just like that guy trying to get that girl's number, Lord. I pray that we keep asking you, and we keep at it, and we keep at it, and we keep at it, Lord. We keep asking, seeking, and knocking, Lord, until you either, A, if we're yours, you bring us closer to you, or B, Lord, if, if we're not yours, Lord, that you would open that door to us, and that we would come in and to your place, and we'd be with you forever, and you'd come into us, Lord, and, and we'd open the doors of our hearts so that you could come in and, and sit with us and, and and show and just reveal your great love to us, Lord. Thank you so much. And I pray, Lord, for all those listening out there. Of course, Lord, everybody that will ever listen, I pray these things for them and myself as well, too. And I ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name.